That was great worship. I thoroughly enjoyed worship. Every time I worship in service, I always end worship with one thought. I wish it could be five minutes longer, ten minutes longer. That's how much I, I love worship. But uh, so good to see all of you here, especially this is the Chap Gome weekend, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, so good to see all of you. I'm sure all of you are back from your holidays. I heard some of you have driven out, flew back, uh, back, to, back to life after a good long uh, break, seeing family uh, and friends. It's so good uh, to see all of us here in the first service. You know, um, in this first service, Saturday at 5 uh, p.m., um, we always give a clap offering to our, the Lord our God. But I thought one time and one time only, right? Just one time and one time only. This is not a clap offering of thanks. This is not a clap offering of praise. But this is actually a clap offering of welcome, all right? It's a different kind of clap offering because I thought for this service, just one time only, if, if everybody could just give a clap, warm, welcome offering to all the next gen who are in this service today. Just give a clap offering. Yeah. So just, just so everybody know, we're, we're really focusing on a, the generation frontier, uh, in more particularness, the next-gen frontier. So um, more and more you will see on a Saturday, 5 p.m., we, are love, we would love to invite uh, the next generation to come and join us for service. So I invite everybody here who owns this house, who owns this service, to always be welcoming to our next gen. Welcome them here, give them a seat or whatever. Just say hello, just say, how are you doing? Uh, because what we want to do is we really believe in our generations. We really believe in the next gen and we really want to push uh, uh, the next gen frontier. Amen, church? All right? So because we are on a very intentional path intentional journey to really take this frontier, uh, uh, another intentionality that we're doing for this service is you will always see um, every pastor is welcome to this service. You will always see um, all our older pastors here in this service. They are always welcome. They will always be here uh, uh, as you will see them in every Saturday service. But also, I thought I should point out with even greater intentionality, all our next-gen pastors will also be present in this service. And I would also like to, just in case, just in case we're unaware of who our next-gen pastors are, I do want to invite them just to take a stand on their place, and I want to point them out. Just to take a stand, all right? Just keep standing while I point you out, while I look for you. Let me go in age group. Is that okay? Let me go by, by the ministry they passed over. That is Pastor Jeremy. Give him a wave, all right? Pastor the children's ministry, all right? He sometimes will not be here because he's needed down at the children's ministry, so the Lord bless him. That's Pastor Jem. That's Pastor Sean. You just see him talking up there. He passes the youth ministry, all right? So that's Pastor Sean. Then we've got Pastor Stephanie. That's Pastor Stephanie. She also passes the youth ministry together with Pastor Sean. So they're uh, amazing uh, people, the pastors that pastor the youth ministry. Then we've got Pastor Miranda, who's there. She passes the campus ministry. So if you are a campus student in this place, please, uh, or fresh grads, please take a uh, 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 look uh, uh, for Pastor Miranda. Then we've got Pastor Aaron. I'm looking at Pastor Aaron. Ah, there's Pastor Aaron. All right. He passes the young adult uh, ministry here. And so if you're a young adult, please look for Pastor Aaron. Then it's Pastor Lindy, of course, and myself. All right. We're part of the next-gen movement. Thank you so much, pastors. Um, 
the reason I point them out is I thought, just in case you don't know who they are, uh, 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 th th these, these are our pastors, uh, next-gen pastors in this church. But what we're intentionally trying to do is that if you've got um, any next-gen, you know, your sons or your daughters, or you've got friends, or you've got whoever you want to bring into the service, you can always rest assured that you can always catch one of us now that you know our face. Now we can't run from you and you can't run from us, all right? Now that you know our face, come and catch us. We would love to connect with you. And it's not just the pastors because every, if you can see them in front and all, all here, they are next-gen leaders. We would love to connect with you. And I want to explain why my sermon, why it's so important that the pastors and the leaders are, are of not just the next-gen, but also I know the adults are here, to in order to connect with people, in order to, I'll give away my sermon ending a little bit, in order to redeem our church, redeem our generation, redeem the church of God for the world. Is that okay? All right, so with that, uh, my introduction, I, I, I would like to anchor this whole sermon, this whole word time on the book of Ruth. We're still on the book of Ruth, all right? Um, next week will be the last week we're on the book of Ruth, and then we're going into another book of the Bible. Shall I reveal it? No, no, I'll leave it to you. You find out. You come. You come in two weeks' time, and then you find out what book we're going to study next. But we're still in the book of Ruth. Um, so today, we've landed in Ruth chapter 2 and chapter 3, and I, 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 I call my sermon, I had about 20 titles, um, and I picked this one. I landed. I thought this was mm, this is the most Holy Spirit-led one. Uh, choose or lose your destiny, because I thought, wow, the book of Ruth is actually. You know, the more I think about it, the book of Ruth is more of. It's it's really about a book of destiny. Because it's only four chapters, but in that four chapters lies the generation of David and Solomon, and then Jesus. It's just in that four chapters, right? So choose or lose your destiny. And I thought I want to start by, you know, I want to ask a question. I really want to ask a question. Have you or have you not intentionally chose to sow into your destiny? Has that, has that been a question? You, because I know, if I ask you, what are you doing for your career? I know you can give me five pointers, right? Because I'm doing this and this and this. You know, my boss is this and this. My portfolio is this and this. I need to do this and this in order to advance my career. If I ask you, what are you doing? Even, even if I ask you something churchy, what are you doing for your Bible reading plan this year? Bet some of you can say, oh, I'm reading this Bible, that Bible, I'm doing this and this and this. That's great. A, a good plan, everything starts with a good plan, right? But if I ask you the question, have you intentionally chosen to sow into your destiny? What would your answer be? Because every one of us here, we have a destiny to hold, a destiny that we're birthed with, we're born with. And I think, well, maybe not more than I think, I know that we need to intentionally choose to sow into our destiny. And I use the word sow because we're talking about Ruth. It's, about the, it's a barley you know, season in the book of Ruth, right? We have to intentionally sow because everything that is not intentional will often go lying waste by the wayside. And before you know it, you're 10 years older, you're 20 years older, you're 30 years older, and then you're still asking the question, what am I called here to do? What am I called for? What is my destiny? What is God wanting to do in my life? What is my purpose? So today, I, I hope to answer that question, not in its fullness of the theological understanding of the whole Bible, but just in the lens of the book Ruth. More specifically, Ruth chapter 2. And I'd like to begin by reading a portion. I thought to myself, I have three, three scripture slides. So I have, I have two chapters to cover, and then I have, well, I don't think I put it all up, even though it's a short book. So I picked and choose certain verses to pick up. I still, I still have three slides. I was going to get you to read it, but then um, I tell you what, I'll read it for you, and then I'll invite you to read the second slide, and I'll read the third slide. So I only need you to read one slide, which is actually the bulk of my sermon. Is that okay? So I'll read the first one. 
So Ruth entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. This is, this is brilliant. I want to stop. I just, okay, give me, give me just one minute intermission for breathing. I want to stop right here. This is brilliant. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. You see, in a church culture, if you're as old as me, all right, however old you think I am, if you're old as me and you've been in church long enough, you know, we have, oh, we have church sayings, right? All right, now, now some next gen are here, they may not know the church sayings, so come on, older gen, you show them what we've got, all right? I, I, I identify with the older gen now, you show them what we've got. So if a pastor and a preacher says, all right, uh, God is good, you say? All the time. And if a preacher says, all the time? Amen. All right. So it looks like everybody knows it. So that's like a saying. But let's start something new today. All right. Let's start with a new SIBKL Book of Ruth culture. So when a preacher says, The Lord be with you, you say, The Lord bless you. All right. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. Amen. Why don't we, after this service, not now, the after this service, you go around saying, The Lord be with you. And you, just the first service, you're expected to say, The Lord bless you. All right. And if the other services, they, they don't know this little culture that we have, you, you show them. All right, you show them that we're, that we're just a little bit better. <laughs> All right, that's just, I'm just kidding. Let's, 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 let's move on before the second and third service uh, start coming after me. All right, verse 5. Boaz asked the overseer of these harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Ah, that's, the overseer's replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. Now I need you to read this next slide. One, two, three. So Boaz said to Ruth, My daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother and your homeland, and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Amen. Next slide. I'll read it. May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord, she says. You have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant, though I do not have the standing of one of your servants. So Ruth gleaned in the field until evening. Her mother-in-law asked her, Where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I work today is Boaz, she said. The Lord bless him. Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, he has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our guardian redeemers. See, I highlighted the two words in red. Under our wings, refuge, and this one, 
guardian redeemers. So please do remember these two things because it will pop up, but I will not bring the scriptures back up, but it will pop up in my sermon uh, here and there. But before I go into point one, let me pray. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I just want to pray that the Word of God just saturate our spirits today. I just want to pray, Father God, that we're sensitive to the Holy Spirit, that we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, Father God, that it is not my words that speak, but Father God, it is yours. And Lord Jesus, may we leave here never the same again because your words has transformed us and your words live in us. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Choose or lose your destiny. I have three points. And my first point is this. Don't be an ass. Be a Boaz. My first point is this. Don't be an ass. Be a Boaz. All right? Especially for the girls. Don't look for an ass. Look for a Boaz. Is that okay? All right? Especially for the girls. Especially for the guys. All right? This is more for the guys. Don't be an ass. Be a Boaz. What's my point? You see, I, I believe, you know, this Boaz guy, he's, he's, he's really famous. We all know it. If we're Christians, we all know the story of Ruth and Boaz, Ruth and Boaz. But you have never heard, you have never heard of the family tree of Boaz, right? You've never heard. Now, this is my theology, nothing from the Bible. So in the next two minutes as I speak, it is just my joke opinion. Is that okay? You see, you've never met the family tree of Boaz. See, he's got his first cousin. His first cousin is called Brokass. All right? So I just want to say, guys, church, church, don't be a broke ass. Work hard. All right? It's post-pandemic. I know the economy is picking up. Work hard. All right? What, everything you do, like, I don't want anybody to ever accuse me, as even, if, even though I'm a pastor, that Isaac Ling don't work hard. All right? Everybody works hard. You know, if you study scripture, just in, the, in, in, just in Ruth alone, Boaz was a hard worker. I'll explain why. Ruth was an even harder worker. She gleaned in the field until the evening, right? So don't, don't, don't be a broke ass. Work hard. Then I know, I know some of you are saying, especially the younger ones, right? You say, Pastor, now in these days, we don't work hard. We work hard. Don't be a smart ass. <laughs> all right, don't, don't be a smart ass. All right? <laughs> all right, what I'm saying is, that's just a joke, but what I'm saying is, you know, you can work hard, you can work smart. You can do both. Can you imagine if you work hard and you work smart? All right, you can be both, right? You can you just marry the two together, right? You know, in the last three years, I've been reading a lot of autobiographies. I just, I don't know why I'm so interested, right? Especially CEO founders like Big Shots, right? Uh, 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 Walt Disney, for example, Steve Jobs, for example, Bill Gates, for example. Do you know one thing they all have in common? It's not, about, it's not luck. It's not about the intelligence. One thing they have in common is that they all work hard. That's what I read. They all work hard. They work for their legacy, they work for their business, they work for their, their company. All right, so don't, don't be a broke ass, don't be a smart ass, don't be a cheap ass. All right, don't be a cheap ass, guys. All right, this, what I mean is this, it's not, about, it's not about being generous or not. I tell you what, in your Christian life, don't be a cheap ass with God. All right, just don't be a cheap ass. Give him your time. Don't give him your leftovers, all right? See, Ruth had to take her leftovers, right? But don't, we're not here being a roof to God. All right, God is giving us the whole field. Let's harvest the field. Don't be a cheap ass with God. Give Him your time. Give Him your love. Give Him your heart. Give Him your money. 5 p.m. on a Saturday to 6.30 or 7 p.m. on a Saturday is just two hours of your week. Give Him your time because He deserves it. Did we not sing the song, You're Worthy of It All? All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with all my puns. But don't be, don't be a broke ass. Don't be a smart ass. Don't be a cheap ass. I know none of you are a dumb ass, you know. Uh, <laughs> forgive. Just this one time a pastor can say this because of the word as, A-Z, all right. Um, but at the end of the day, I want to encourage everybody, be a Boaz. But why be a Boaz? I have six, I, you know, I found seven points about Boaz that, 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 that really struck me. And the word honor keeps coming up. 
See, we must remember that the book of Ruth was during the time of the book of, of, book of Judges, where everything, there's no law, everybody was worshipping idols, there's, there's no central religion in, in Israel at that time, but Boaz, but Boaz kept these seven personality traits, seven characters that made him stand out from the rest. See, if you want to sow into your destiny, God is looking for people who honor His Word. God is looking for people who will intentionally follow and obey His Word in order for them to sow into their destiny that God has for them. And I believe Boaz was chosen because he held these characteristics. Let me go through it one by one. Let me prove it to you. He honors his workers, right? The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you. How many of us we go to our workplace, including the church pastors, all right, here in this place? How many of us go into our business, we open the door and says, I'm here, good morning, the Lord be with you, all right? And you expect everybody to say, the Lord bless you. How many of us? But he, he honors his workers. I even know, I, I haven't had a sub point. He knows his workers. You see, when he came to his field, then he says, who is that, who is that young lady? Uh, some commentator says that Ruth has to be so beautiful that he noticed the young lady in the corner. But, but that is not my belief. This is my interpretation now. I believe he noticed Ruth in the field because he knows all his workers. And that's, I, I, that's what I think. I think he knows. Like, for example, if I'm a pastor, I would know, I, I don't know all of you, all right? But... One day I hope to know all of you, but I would like to know, I like to think I know a majority of you. And when somebody new comes in through the door, I'll say, hey, you're new here. Is it because she's a beautiful woman? Not necessarily, not, not, I don't think so, but it's because she's new. I say, I've never seen you before. Or it could be a guy. I've never seen you before. See, I, think, I believe God, Boaz honors his workers because he knows his workers by name. He knows his workers by, by blessing them, by being a blessing as a boss. Let's move on. He honors the poor and the foreigners. How many of us here honors the poor and the foreigners? You see, in, back in those times in Israel, the poor and the foreigners, by law, is allowed to glean the leftovers from the harvesters, by law. But in those times, it's recorded somewhere else, that nobody followed the letter of the law. So the poor remains poor, the foreigners can't make a living. So here comes this guy, Boaz, he honors the poor, he says, hey, I know you're, you're poor, you're a foreigner, glean, you need to eat. You need to feed your family. Do it. How many of us here, we honor the poor? We honor the foreigners, right? Like, I, I have a policy. You know, um, sometimes there's people that come to your table where you eat at the hawker store and they ask for money, right? When I was younger, I've been told, I've been told that if you give, you don't know whether they're from a syndicate, you don't know what they're going to do with the money, you don't know, you know whether they're going to use the money for this or that, they're part of a syndicate. But as I grew older and as I grew into my pastoral role, I prayed about it. I said, hey, you know, some, some, some of them, they, they're really like handicapped. They really need, it looks like they really need money. And then sometimes my friend is like, yeah, it's, it's, it's the outlook. They need, to, they need to create some sort of sympathy so you give. But now as a pastor, I go, you know what? It doesn't matter to me if they are from a syndicate. It doesn't matter to me if they're going to use the money for whatever it is. But it matters to me that my heart is right in blessing the poor. Now, I don't get to go into the mission field. I don't get, you know, I'm, I'm not all the missionaries that go into the mission field and bless the poor. I'm not. But what I can do, my little part, is when a guy or a girl walks by or a little child with maybe no arm and ask for a dollar, I can give a dollar. I can drink one less copy peng and give a dollar. Am I right? So I, to me, I do my little bit to say, God, I, I want to honor the poor. What they do with the money, God, I leave it up to you. 
but at least I know, Father God, I want to honor your word. See, Boaz, he honors his word. You know why he honors his work? Chapter 3, verse 7. I didn't read it, but when, when, when everybody gleaned the field and they, and they went home, what did Boaz do? He went and sleep in the threshing floor. That is a very important verse, which I didn't read. Boaz at night went to sleep in the threshing floor. Now, this is where all the commentators agree to say that he did that because, number one, those days there were no law. So if you don't guard your, 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 your harvest, most likely people will come and take it away. So you've got to guard your harvest. Boaz went and guarded himself. He went to sleep on the threshing floor himself, which means that Boaz is not just a boss that orders his people around. Boaz is a boss that walks his talk. If you work, I work. This is my business. This is your business. I will also sleep on the threshing floor and guard my work. See, that's Boaz. He honors purity. That night, when he sleeps on the threshing floor, Ruth, by the order of Naomi, came up to Boaz, slept next to him, and covered his feet, and uncovered his feet, right? Long story short, read chapter chapter 3 to get more uh, knowledge uh, later at home. But that night, you know, if a a young woman, now guys, I'm talking to guys, young woman, you just close your ears for a while. Guys in this place, if a young woman willingly come up to your bed and sleeps right next to you and you're a guy, you're single, all right, you're single, you're not married, what is your instinct? Boaz remained pure. He could have, he could have, but he didn't. He could have did it, but he didn't. Because I know, because in chapter 4, it clearly says after Boaz married Ruth, he then made love to her. Which means that he maintained his purity. How many guys in 2023 can say, I will maintain my purity for God. I will honor God in maintaining my purity. It's got, it, now I got a bit quiet. I want to move on. Boaz honored the rule of law. You see, when he became the garden redeemer for Ruth, there was one person who was supposed to be the garden redeemer before him. So instead, he could have said, I'm going to redeem you myself, I will marry you myself. No, the rule of law says that he has the right to redeem you, Ruth, first. I will go and ask him if he wants to. How many of us, if we are given the opportunity to cut and slash some sort of rule in order to gain an advantage, we will gain the advantage? Number one, we're humans. Number two, most of us here are Chinese. <laughs> the answer should be yes. <laughs> we will. How many of us here? Like, I, I, I admit it, right? Like, if I park my car and I don't see a traffic attendant, I'm not too sure if I'll pay the 60 cents or a dollar, right? Because I have to open the app. But my wife is like, do it. And I'm like, do I really need to? See, I can honor the poor, but I'm struggling with honoring the rule of law. All right? I'm still struggling. I'm a pastor. All right? But Boaz, even in the time where the judges in the book says, at that time, there was no law. Everybody did what is right in their own eyes because there was no king. Boaz still honored the rule of law. Two more last one. Boaz honors his word. He told Ruth in chapter 3, if this guy don't want to marry you, I will marry you. In chapter 4, he marries. How many of us here We need a contract by law in order for us to keep our word. It's no longer a gentleman's agreement, right? He says, I promise to do it, I promise to do it. But you don't do it. Because now these days, honoring our word is not as important as a lot of other things. See, Boaz honors his word. And the last one, he honors God. In chapter 2, verse 12, 
Boaz honors God because during the time of Judges, when there was no central religion, no king, no more Yahweh worship, Boaz still says to Ruth, the Lord our God, the God of Israel. He still recognizes Yahweh as the God of Israel. It is these seven characteristics of honor that Boaz carried that the Lord looked at him, I believe, and said, I would choose you to carry the lineage of King David and subsequently carry the lineage of Jesus Christ. So my question to all of us today, how many of us intentionally sow into our destiny? Because God has a destiny for each and every one of you. But if we don't intentionally sow into it, we will lose our destiny. Because it's either we follow the ways of the world or we follow the ways of God. And I implore us here today to choose to honour God and honour His law and honour His love and honour everything that He has done for us because in doing so, He will safeguard our legacy and our destiny. How many of us in this day and age can say that I will put God first over everything else. I will put God first in my work. And I know some of us here were struggling because we're praying for you, that you know, your work is difficult because you need to give this, you need to do this in order to get this, in some, to get this business deal. I understand it's difficult, but how many of us says, God, I will stand for you first? How many of us here will be able to say in our personal life, God, I will honor you first by doing my quiet time? You know, God never said you must do your quiet time two hours a day. Some of us say it's 10% of your time. Some of us here say it has to be one hour or half an hour. But all I say today is, are you doing it? One minute is still better than zero minutes. Two minutes is still better than zero minutes. Am I right? How many of us in the car say, we're busy. Like, I'm a dad. I'm busy. Like some of us, you know, when I'm single, this is just the truth. When I'm single, I was, I was, we all go to the toilet. So I'm in the toilet. And I go, oh man, this is, this is brilliant. Nobody disturbs me. <laughs> I, can, I can take my time in the toilet, which I don't. But I can take my time uh, being in the I can do anything I want. I can shower, I can, do whatever, I can brush my teeth, I can brush my teeth for an hour. It doesn't really matter. Nobody, nobody bugs me. Oh, this is a brilliant time in the, in the toilet to sing worship songs. And that's what I do. Okay? That's, immediately, that's what I do. Because right? it's the best acoustics in there All right, for your voice. For your voice. The warm shower for your voice. It's, it's really good. So no, whether you're good or bad singer, just sing, worship him in the toilet. But I tell you what, now as a parent... As a father, some, some angst. I'll deal with my angst later. As a pa- I don't even get 30 seconds of peace in the toilet. B- believe me, I know. All right? Even though I close the door, I don't lock it, but even though I close the door, my sons, now that they have discovered the skill, you know, level unlocked, of opening the door, they open it and they must, they must, because I don't know, they must come in and ask, Daddy, can you come and see this now? I'm like, son, son, do you not see that Jesus is not the only one on the throne right now? <laughs> All right. Can you not, do you not perceive that? Like, like, is it like, please? All right. The two people on the throne, Jesus and your father. All right. Can give me two minutes of peace. But no, he doesn't give me two minutes of peace. So now I've lost my toilet privileges. I've lost my sleeping privileges. I've lost all my privileges. But I tell you what, sometimes, sometimes I just find it in the dead quiet of the night. This is the best. This is when I do my quiet time. When my boys are just gone to sleep, 
because when they just gone to sleep, it's like you get, a, you get a guaranteed 15 minutes of peace and just gone to sleep. I don't immediately get up, leave. I'll, I'll, I'll be there and I'll just pray just a little bit with my son. He's sleeping. I'll just, I'll just pray. I'll just pray. And I tell you what, as anybody can have and honor God in your personal life. And it is in these little things that I choose to believe that souls into your destiny. That when God looks, He's looking for somebody that will honor Him to carry the lineage and to carry a blessing and to carry a destiny and to carry a purpose and to carry something that God can use to advance the kingdom of God. So today, my first point is this. If you have to be an ass, be a Boaz. All right? Be a Boaz. Choose to honor God. Because if you don't choose intentionally, you will inadvertently choose everything else. Everything else would, would take your time, right? I just read an article. Even Instagram is dying now. Facebook is half dead, just in case you didn't know. All right? Instagram is half dying now. And I just read an article that there's a lot more new platforms that are coming up, which no, I will not mention, so you don't have to be on it. But with the changing and the shifting of time and the changing and the shifting of things, let one thing be the anchor of your life. Choose to honor God. It's a choice. It has to be a choice. My second point. Your identity determines your destiny. Your identity determines your destiny. And I want all to say it, but don't say your. Now say my. My identity determines my destiny. Can we say it? One, two, three. My identity my destiny. You know, it's very true. You know, in this, in this day and age, you know, I said it in my last sermon, in, in, just in this service, that the, the term I identify with dot, 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 is, coming, is becoming so popular everywhere you read, everything you watch, everything on social media, I identify with, all right? And it's, it, to me, it's gone a little bit out of hand, all right? It used to be a movement that well, sort of makes sense, but now it's just, it's just cray. It's just all over the place. For example, I identify with my anger. And I go, really? Right? Really? Can't you identify with your forgiveness? No, I must identify with my anger. I identify with being offended. Because I'm offended by what you said. What you said was offensive to me. I identify with being offended, so I'm offended. I identify with, you know, that there are more than 50, more than 50 types of sexual identity in 2023 alone. I, I don't even know what's the final count, but there are more than 50. I, 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 I can't brain past eight. Like, like, wait, like, what, what is, how many sexual identities can you hold uh, past eight? I mean, I, the normal ones I understand, but now there are 50. And I go, 50? All right? And it's getting so ridiculous that I identify as a, you fill in the blank. I don't want to mention it today. But you, I, I, everybody is identifying as something. I know that some states in the Western world, there are no longer two toilets. There have to be three. One male, one female, one non-binary toilet. And it's a state law that you have to be three. And this is the world that we're growing up in, that everybody identify as something. All right? I identify, and it's so ridiculous, you know, in the darkest corner of the dark web somewhere. All right? I read an article, because I'm reading all the time, right? I identify not just with my emotions, not just with my sexual identity. Now you can identify as another race. 
Do you know that? I identify as an Indian. Obviously not. I mean, have you not seen how I look, my skin complexion? But if you choose to identify, you can now take on the characteristics and the culture of, 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 of an Indian or a Mexican or whatever it may be. I can identify as another race. It is so perplexed, it is so preposterous that in this world, if you don't know your identity, what you identify with will then determine your destiny. If you identify with anything else but who God called you to be, that will determine your destiny. You see, if you cannot let go of your anger and you keep holding on to it and identify with my anger year after year after year, don't tell me anger does not control your destiny because all your decisions in life will be funneled through the lens of anger, right? For example, just an example, if... if your marriage fell apart and you've got a divorce and now you don't trust men or you don't trust girls anymore, whatever it may be, you don't trust the opposite sex, right? Every time you make a decision, it funnels through the lens of your mistrust and your anger towards the person. Everything will funnel through that lens. Am I not right? All right, when you want to make a, when somebody has a relationship and you want to give advice, it would funnel through that lens of anger. And you would say, no, don't trust this person. He cannot be trusted. It would funnel through that lens. When you want to make a decision about church, ah, oh, church, oh, church girls like that one, no, oh, choose guys that only, that looks like Jesus, but talk like Jesus, everything like Jesus. All right, I cannot, this church cannot want now. Which church can make it? I don't know, that church over there. Go to that church, ah, oh, that church, whatever it may be. It funnels through that lens of anger. If you identify with X, X would determine your destiny. And today I'm imploring you to identify only with Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ will then control your destiny. He's the only one that created it. He's the only one that knows it. And he's the only one that is in control in order to give you a good future, a good destiny, a good plan for you. We must no longer use language and we must not teach our children and the next generation to use language like I identify with anything else but Yahweh. I identify with Jesus. I identify as a male because I'm created in the image of the Most High God and that is my identity. And in that identity will then create my destiny. But how do I get it in the book of Ruth? I got it from this chapter. I want to read it to you. Let me go through it. This, in the middle of the book of Ruth, is a classic example of identity. The overseer replied. You see, Boaz asked the overseer, who is that, who is that young woman in the corner? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. How did the people, the Israelites, identify Ruth? They identified her as a Moabite. They called her a Moabite. At this, she bowed down, uh, verse, verse 10 now, because Boaz called her, and then she bowed down to Boaz as a son of respect, not worship. She asked him, why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? How did Ruth identify with herself? How did she see herself? Ruth saw herself as a foreigner, not, a, not an Israelite. She didn't see herself as part of the clan. She says, I'm a, I'm a foreigner. That's her identity. Then Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father, mother, and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Verse 11 sounds a lot like chapter 1, verse 16, where Naomi was asking Ruth, uh, you can go back to Moab because I'm going back to Israel. Ruth then said to Naomi, I will go with you. Where you die, I die. Where you live, I live. Where you build your home, I build my home. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. You see, Ruth was speaking language of identity and covenant. She says, Ruth, I, so Ruth said to Naomi and said to Jesus or God, 
Yahweh, I will be with you. You are my God. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. So Ruth left everything. So Ruth was identifying with Naomi. And then here Boaz replied. The reply will show you what we need to do as a generation to affirm the identity of the next. And it doesn't matter to me now how old you are. You could be 17 years old. You also have a next generation that is a 12-year-old. You could be 12-year-old. You could have the next generation that is my son. So if I don't teach the 12-year-old now to be able to you know, speak blessing to my son, then my son will lose out. So I got to, you know, it's for everybody, right? This is what Boaz said. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz spoke identity over Ruth, to says, you are not a foreigner. You have come to live with us, and under the God of Israel, you have come under his wings and taken refuge. Look at the language of Boaz, and I want to end and I'll, I'll expound. Ruth then said, she first in verse 10 identified as a foreigner, but now in verse 13 she says, May I continue to find favor in your eyes, my Lord? She said, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. When she heard the word of Boaz, she was comforted and put at ease. And in my opinion, she accepted that she is now part of an Israelite. Or in actual words, she proselyted as an Israelite. She entered the faith. What is so important about identity? Ruth didn't start with the mindset of an Israelite. She walked around with the mindset of a foreigner. Everybody else identified Ruth as a foreigner. You see, sometimes even in, in a church, how many times do we identify as a sinner? You identify with your sins, right? When you, when you pray, he says, talk to God. He says, I can't. Because today, I know I did ABC. I didn't do so well. That's language of identity with your sins. You are counting what you have failed. You are counting what you have not done. Right? He says, no, I'm not good. Let me give you more tangible examples. I hope not in this church, but I've heard rumors in the church of God that sometimes people can identify you as, oh, the single woman. Oh, the divorcee. Oh, the smoker. Oh, the person that didn't do so well in the exam, failed the exam, had to repeat a year. The student failure. Am I right? Sometimes we, we see people that way. We identify people through their sins. And the longer we hear it, the longer we believe it. To say that I identify with my sin. Yeah. I have to be a sinner. I'm a divorcee, all right? God hates divorce, so I, I'm not worthy. Yeah, you know, I got to be a smoker, so I can't get rid of my addiction or even the other worse addiction out there, whatever it may be. I identify with that addiction. I, I, I identify with a porn watcher. I, I, I can't get rid of it. So I identify with that sin. We need to stop identifying with our sins and start identifying with our Savior because Jesus didn't die for you to call yourself a divorcee. Jesus didn't die to be shamed by, by being called a single woman or a widow. 
Jesus didn't die so that you'll be identified with your failure in your exams. Jesus didn't die so that you, be, you can be called a foreigner in this house. No. Jesus died so that he's saying to you that the God of Israel now places all of you under his wings so we can take refuge. We are a child of God. We identify with our Savior. We identify with Jesus Christ and says, I may have a past because Ruth had a past. But Boaz says, it doesn't matter what you did in your past. I only see who you are now and what God can do for you in your future. It doesn't matter what we do in our past, but it only matters now if we choose to live in our destiny for our future. And that is the only choice that matters. So if somebody comes up to you and say, you are the ex, you reject it and says, no, I am the son or a daughter of the Most High. I am a child of my Savior. I identify with Jesus Christ. And if He forgets my sins, then I should not forget my sins. And if Jesus don't condemn me, then who will condemn me? If Jesus don't judge me, who will dare judge me? And if Jesus is for me, then I should be for me too. Then if He's for me, then who are you to be against me? So we need to identify with our Savior because it is only in our identity in Jesus that will determine our destiny. The moment Ruth said, yes, I am an Israelite, Boaz and Ruth changed history. They changed the future. The moment you say yes to Jesus, you change your future. Let me speak to parents for a little while because I'm a parent myself. I know sometimes my son is a little all, all over the place. Sometimes our kids are a little all over the place. But I, can I just implore, let's not use language of identity over them to say, you are a liar. That's not, you know, yes, my, my two-year-old may not understand the concept of lying and truth. He may have said a false truth, but it does not make him a liar. So I always say to him, and I always say, no, Jet, that's, that's not the truth. We, we don't lie in this family, but I would never call him a liar. He could be rude to me one day because, hey, you know, kids are rude, like me when I was a kid. But rude, or even now, I don't know. But I never say, Jed, you are a rude person. I said, Jed, that was rude. What you did was rude. Your actions was rude. But you are not a rude person. And that is the same concept that Jesus sees you through. You may have fallen that day, whatever it may be. That may be a sin. But the moment we repent and move, Jesus says, you are now still my child of the Most High. You are not defined by your sin, but you are defined by your Savior because He imprinted His Imago Dei into you, His image into you. And if His image is in you, then how can you call yourself anything but the child of the Most High? So I implore you today, you've got to choose. And we, as a church, as a body of Christ, we need to stop using language of identity to speak into the generations here. Can we put a pause, or not pause, pause better, can we put an end to language of identity of generations here? Can we stop saying, younger ones, that the older generations are old-fashioned? That's language, they're not old-fashioned. Their old-fashionedness fashioned who we are today. Right? I mean, right? I mean, they, they paved the way. 
So how can we call them all? They're not, they're not conservative. Their language of worship 30, 40 years ago was what made them Christians today. That's it. And we as older generation, we can't call the next generation, oh, like, like it little irks me when it's strawberry generation because I really like strawberries. You know, it's like, you, you have to spoil the fruit for me, right? You know, but we, we have to stop. Oh, this, you know, this young generation, they like jumping songs. Yes, because the fast, awesome songs are what drives our worship today that makes us Christians of tomorrow. That's the culture of today. So we need to stop using language of identity to push people down. Or in the book of Ruth's words, we need to stop calling everybody a Moabite and a foreigner. And we need to start to say, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. We need to say, I believe in you, you are the child of the Most High. That we need to start saying, you're welcomed here. And we are one family, one church. We are one body, one spirit. We are one God, one faith. We are one. And we're going to worship one God, the three in one. And we're going to worship Him with all our might. And it really doesn't matter if that hymn was written in 1668 or the hymn was written in 2023 because the hymn is still worship to the Most High. And we worship one God. Amen, church? Can we start using language of identity, of positive identity, Jesus' identity over our family and over our church, which leads me to my last point. Choose or lose. You've got to choose or you will lose it. You've got to choose or lose it. You see, I can say fancy things today. I can say everything I want to say today. But if you don't make an intentional choice to choose it, say, God, this is me. I choose to live with it. The enemy will come up against you. The enemy will sow discouragement. The enemy will dissent against the generations here. The enemy would say, no, you're not this. No, you can't do this. You can't. But no, we choose to say, I will still press forward. I still choose Jesus. I will still take my best foot forward because Jesus will finish the race for me. I will still choose Jesus because the only other choice or a non-choice is a choice of loss you will lose what God has intended for you. You see, the whole book of Ruth is a book of choice. You see, choose to live a life of honour. It's a choice. You think Boaz got it difficult? Living in the time of Judges where there was idolatry and everything, he, he chose to be an honourable man. You think it was difficult for him? It's difficult for us too. In this, in this modern day, isn't it difficult to not read something on Facebook and then yell at our phone because we're angry? at some political comment or some economical comment or some generational comment, we're angry and then we start yelling at the phone. <laughs> I said the phone can hear and then we're crazy. But it's, we have to choose to live that life of honour. It's a choice. Boaz chose and God honoured him. Choose to return to God. You see, Naomi chose. She chose to run away. But 10 years later, she chose to come back. We are not defined by our backsliddenness. We are not defined by our two months of not coming to church or two years. We're not even defined by our 20 years of not coming to church. But we are defined by our returning to God. We are defined by our returning to God. You see, God never judged Naomi for saying, that, oh, you ran away, sorry, I don't, I don't know you anymore, good luck to you, bye-bye. No. God says, oh, Naomi, you chose to come back? Hallelujah. Now I will choose you as the mother-in-law 
to be a generation for David. I will still choose you. See, God is a good God. He's a gracious God, and is a God who is a redeemer. See, if we choose to return to God, we can always and still change our destiny for the future. If Naomi stayed in Moab, she would have died in Moab, and God would have used another lineage to birth King David. But because Naomi chose to come back. So we need to choose. Is it difficult to come to service on a Saturday, 5 p.m.? Yes, it's tough because everything else demands my attention. Everything else seems to be more exciting than church at 5 p.m. on a Saturday or Sunday, 8.30 p.m. or Sunday, 11 a.m. It's everything else is more interesting than church. But you've got to make a choice to come back. And it's not just one time. It's again and again. And the faithfulness of your choice is birthed by the faithfulness of God. You've got to choose to identify with Yahweh. Ruth chose. She didn't need to. She didn't need to. She could have gone with Naomi and just said, okay, you know what? As a loyal daughter-in-law, I go with you because it's my duty and responsibility as a daughter-in-law to look after my mother-in-law. She could have just said that. Finish, full stop, done. She chose to say, your God is my God. Your people are my people. She chose to be under the wings of the Most High. She chose to take refuge under Yahweh rather than her own God. We need to choose, choose to identify with Jesus. It's an active choice because it doesn't happen just by instinct. And my last point, we need to choose to be a guardian redeemer. This is perhaps my most important point. What is a garden redeemer? You see, the, the Bible calls Boaz a garden redeemer. What is a garden redeemer that we need to intentionally choose? A garden redeemer is a person, very, very simplistically, is a person that redeems another. That person, someone else, let me just use Jonathan for an example. Jonathan had a loss of something. It could be property, it could be health, it could be life, it could be siblings, it could be anything. He has lost something. And a redeemer says, I am coming into your life to help you come back to right standing, whether in society or right standing in your own eyes or right standing before God. Or, spiritually speaking, Jonathan could have gone wayward from God. He could have done addiction. He could have, he could have done crazy things that we know we, and we as Christians know it as sin. He could have done all these things as sin. But a redeemer says, I will come now into your life, Jonathan, and I will now redeem you back for Jesus. Now, we can't do it in our flesh to redeem his soul. Only Jesus can. But we can guide. We can call. We can connect. We can talk. We can listen. We can pray for him. We can read the word. We can invite him to church. We can invite him to sell. And that is the job of a garden redeemer. And Boaz is called a garden redeemer for Ruth because he redeemed Ruth. He didn't need to. Ruth was a foreigner. Ruth was a Moabite. Ruth was a widow. He didn't need to. He could have chosen any other young girl that has never married before, whatever it is. But he chose Ruth. Why did he choose Ruth? That's another sermon. But he chose to redeem this girl. And in that redemption, birth a lineage. You see, you know what's powerful? You know, in the law of Leviticus, it says the moment a man marry a Moabitess, the man is the, the couple and the family lineage is no longer allowed in the temple of God for ten generations. 
that's 10 generations, all right? You're no longer allowed to worship and identify with Yahweh for 10 generations. But the moment Ruth identified with Yahweh and she married Boaz, her son, Obed, was in the temple. She was automatically accepted in the presence of God. Her son, Obed, was automatically accepted in the presence of God. Her son's son, Jesse, was also accepted in the presence of God. And then the third generation was not just accepted in the presence of God. King David, King Solomon, built the temple that hosted the presence of God. You see, we need to start looking at our lives as Christians, as a spiritual guardian redeemer. And that's what my call is for SIBKL today. We need to see ourselves as a garden redeemer. I guard your faith and I redeem you from something. And in this, in this place, if you're an older generation, you may be a parent or maybe you're single, you don't have kids, it does not matter because the status of garden redeemer is found in Jesus Christ. He is our ultimate garden redeemer. No matter where we are, no matter how far we've gone, no matter what we've done, Jesus will always say to us, I will come down to my earth, die for you to redeem your life in order for you to live a life, to mimic who Jesus is, to follow Jesus. And if He's a garden redeemer, we are a garden redeemer. But it does not matter about the status of our blood anymore. It is not about, oh, you're a relative, then only I redeem you. It's no longer about blood lineage, it is no longer about friendship lineage, but we are garden redeemers by the Spirit of the law. Which means to say, older gen, you are naturally already older. You're naturally already parents. You're naturally already what you understand life a lot better than a lot of us. You can play the role by redeeming a lot of us. By saying, come back to Jesus. Redeem us in our spirituality by showing us what it means to worship as well. Redeem us as younger generations, younger generations. It does not mean that you're not a parent, you're only 17 years old, you're only 25 years old, we don't understand what it means to be a redeemer. That's not true. Because we, in the spirit of fatherhood, in the spirit of motherhood, in the spirit of redeeming, we can also carry that spirit to say, I can redeem somebody. Because you would have a friend that needs Jesus, don't you not? Don't you have? You would have a sibling that needs Jesus. You would, you would know somebody that has not come to church in two years and that person needs Jesus. You can redeem that person. We know many people here that are not yet back in church. Redeem them. To so say, I want to reach out to you and want to redeem you back for Jesus Christ. I want to win you back for Jesus Christ. And here's the best part about being garden redeemers because there is no selfish ambition in being a garden redeemer. You see, Boaz would never know that in this third generation, he would birth King David. That was not his intention, being a garden redeemer. You are a garden redeemer only for the sole purpose of Jesus Christ. See, if I pray for you and I journey with you and I redeem you back for Jesus, what do I have to gain from it? But joy that you are now in the presence of God. And that is your reward in heaven the joy you have on earth, that somebody found joy in Jesus Christ. And that somebody could be somebody next week. And I even just heard a testimony that just three hours ago, somebody received Christ. Just in our DNA, DNA T. Yeah. 
received Jesus, and we've got to be excited for that. So I'm calling us here that we are all redeemers for Jesus Christ. All of us here. So the next time we see a visitor, you are a redeemer. The next time we see a new believer, you are a redeemer. The next time you see a lost sheep, you are a redeemer. The next time you see even younger gen, if you see an adult that needs prayer, you can still carry the spirit of a redeemer and pray for the next, the older generation. This is not about age, because age is just a number. And we can carry the spirit of a redeemer. Amen, church? So what I'm going to do now is, if you're convicted at all, that you need to choose to sow into your destiny, because it's a choice. If you're convicted at all, if you want to make that choice, I want to invite you to make that choice during worship. But what I want to do now is I want to pray. A prayer of blessing over the generations. I want to invite Pastor Chiu up as a representative of the older generation to pray for the next gen. So if you identify <laughs> as a next gen, 35 and below, can you stand? And we want to pray for you. We want to redeem this generation for God. We want to pray that coming to an altar call is one thing, raising your hand is one thing, but we want to pray that you will actively choose Jesus Christ over anything else in this world. So if you're an older generation, could you raise your hands towards them and I invite Pastor Chiu to pray. Hallelujah. I like the word redemption because at the end of the day, the greatest redemption that all of us experience here is a redemption of our salvation by Jesus Christ. Amen. Redemption means whatever has been lost is now regained. Yep. You lost something, you got it back, that's called redemption. Or you, you gave, sold something, all right, and then you get it back like a pawn shop, it's called redemption. So the best redemption is all of us are saved in Jesus Christ. But more important that following that redemption of salvation, now, today, we want to redeem generations. Yeah. I want to believe that the next generation could have been lost, but we want this church, the older folks, to pray for them with me that we will redeem the next generation back. Amen? Amen. And everyone that is standing here represents the next generation. And I want to invite the older folks like me to stretch our hands towards them let's pray for them and set them up to win that we do whatever we can to set them up to win and believe in them as they represent the next generation that there is hope there's tremendous potential here alright so we want to redeem them for God and for the kingdom of God Amen yeah, so, right. so can I invite those of you who are sitting down to stretch your hands towards them around them and let's pray for them as they represent the next generation so father god even as we come to the close of this evening's service the whole episode and narrative of ruth ultimately ends in redemption yeah. and today even as these young people stand before you and before us 
in front of you in your presence we stretch our hands and we say be redeemed in the lord whatever you have lost your years your opportunities whatever it is that you have lost be redeemed back in the name of jesus because you belong to the lord you have identity your identity is not in the values of the world your identity is not in the things that you see in the virtual world but your identity is in jesus christ and because of that we have taken communion today we have taken every time we eat the bread and drink the wine and the fruit juice we remember who jesus christ and that's why you all of you belong to jesus you belong to no one nothing nobody except jesus christ because you are his and we declare it and we decree it you belong to jesus you belong to jesus and if god is with you nothing can be against you and neither life nor death nor principalities nor powers nor height nor depth nor angels nor demons nor anything in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of god in christ jesus amen and we believe that you will grow you will advance and you will do well because the lord is with you the lord will bless you and all of you will not only do well in your studies not only will you all work well and got good opportunities in your career but every one of you will marry well all of you will marry well so that not only your generation but next generation and next generation up to a thousand generations will be blessed amen that is the ironic blessing and we want to believe that the ironic blessing will be realized and fulfilled in our young people in SIBKL so we bless you today we bless you and we say god be with you and the lord bless you and surely goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life as you dwell in the house of the lord forever in jesus precious name i pray god's people say amen amen thank you can i invite you to sit just one more prayer everybody who did not stand i invite you to stand now you're 35 and above all right you're 36 and above you're 36 and above that's okay it's good now next gen can i invite you and me as a representative of the next gen even though i'm older than 35 let's stretch our hands to them and let's pray let's bless them today because we're going to have a culture where every generation will bless every generation thank you jesus Father Lord Jesus, I also pray, Father God, that you will redeem this generation, Father God. Everything that there was lost, you restore to them, Father God. The years, if the years that the locust has eaten away, Father God, you restore it and you redeem it back to them, Father God. Father Lord Jesus Christ, I also pray, Father God, for their children and their children's children, Father God. If their children are not in church or don't know you, I pray in the name of Jesus, they will be redeemed for you, Father God. I pray, Father Father Lord Jesus, that we as the next gen, we will invite them, we will bring them to church, we will tell them about the good news of Jesus so that their children can be redeemed. So Father Lord Jesus, I pray a blessing, Father Lord Jesus, over the older generation and I thank you, Father God, for the older generation who have paved the way 
the older generation who have worked hard, the older generation who have done things so that we, the next generation, can have a future, can have a business, can have a church to worship in, and we know who we are in Christ because they know who they are in Christ. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father God, today we declare in your presence that we choose you. We choose you above everything else. We choose to put you first. We choose to honour you. We choose to live a life of honour. We choose to return to the Lord. We choose to identify with Yahweh. And we choose to be a guardian, redeemer generation for the generations and the generations to come. We choose you, Jesus. And we thank you, Father God, that in the grand scheme of things, Father God, we will know our purpose, our calling, and our destiny in you. So we thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. Separate us today, Father God, with your love, your joy, your peace. And may your face always shine upon us and grant us shalom. So we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. If you're a visitor, come and say hello to us at the Connect counter. Oh, yes. Next Sunday, second service, 8.30 on a Sunday is at SMCC. So if you're going to an 8.30 SMCC service, Sunday, 8.30. But Saturday, we're still here. Yeah, Saturday, we're still here. God bless you, church.